This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. On the programme today, a much-loved hymn gets a 75th birthday present. We're doing some gardening and thinking about preparing for Easter. But first, let's have some music. And we're starting with the story of a hymn that always features high up on any list of people's favourites. But it's been back in the news recently because it's 75 years since it was written and the anniversary is being marked in a very special way. The hymn is How Great Thou Art. I knew it was the work of Stuart K. Hine, but I had no idea that it was written over a period of some 14 years, beginning in the summer of 1934, when Stuart Hine, a 34-year-old British missionary serving in a remote part of Eastern Europe, set out, travelling by bicycle, to preach and distribute Bibles high up in the Carpathian Mountains. Stuart later said that the first three verses of How Great Thou Art were born line by line amid his unforgettable experiences in those mountains. The first and second verses were inspired partly by hearing a Russian hymn called Mighty God and also by the awesome wonder and beauty of God's creation that he saw around him. Verse 3 was written as a consequence of villagers expressing their amazement at hearing for the first time the revelation of God's love for them. And when I think that God his son not sparing sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bears. 
after the end of the Second World War, the grief and sorrow of refugees from Eastern Europe separated from their loved ones inspired Stuart to write verse 4, a verse of hope for a future reunion in heaven. To mark the 75th anniversary of the completion of the hymn, another verse has been added, and the hymn has been re-recorded by 16 of the world's biggest worship artists, including Matt Redman and Mitch Wong, who wrote the new extra verse. Speaking about it, Matt Redman said, We wanted to acknowledge the broken, warring world that we live in, but also to sing with hope and faith over that. Worship isn't meant to ignore what's going on around us in this fragile, fallen world. Instead, we can engage with these things, pray for and acknowledge God's ultimate kingdom rule. Until that day Thou art until that day. The new recording with an extra verse, uniting the voices of worship leaders including Chris Tomlin, Matt Redman, Pat Barrett and Mitch Wong. And it's been gifted to the Stuart Hine Trust, a charity that supports mission in Eastern Europe. So proceeds from the new version will be used for humanitarian aid and rebuilding communities affected by the war in Ukraine. Richard Littledale is always a welcome visitor to this programme. A Baptist pastor, preacher, author, BBC broadcaster and expert storyteller. Each time we meet him, he's got something special and different to share. Richard, it's lovely to welcome you back to the island. It's nice to be back. Like the rubber ball, I keep bouncing back. Can't resist it. <laughs> well, we love that you enjoy being on the island. And this time, armed with another new book. It's called Make It Grow. And to say I couldn't put it down was the absolute truth. 
it really is delightful. It combines religion, science, nature and fun all between two very colourful covers. Garden Project's Prayers and Fun Facts to help you care for God's planet. This is aimed at young people, but also it's got some very helpful tips for grown-ups to make the best use of this book. It's giving youngsters projects, but you're coming at this from a completely different angle. Let's start at the beginning. What was the inspiration? About three years ago, I wrote a book called Tales from an Undergardener. So that was a book for adults, if you like, about gardening. I had detested gardening all my adult life until about four years ago when I discovered it in the midst of grief. And it was transformative for me. Absolutely loved it. So I ended up writing a book about it. And when that book came out, I took it to my local nursery, who had been wonderful in helping me to understand what this whole gardening nonsense was all about. You know, I could go to them with a photo of a bit of my garden and say, what shall I put there? And they would make suggestions. So I took them this book and their parting shot as I walked out of the potting shed was, well, what are you going to do next? Perhaps you could write a gardening book for children. Well, that's a dangerous thing to say to me because, of course, the cogs started whirring and, lo and behold, I wrote a gardening book for children. But it's such a creative approach because you've got a mix of ten projects, ten fact files, yeah. loads of lovely little illustrations. You've even got little spaces for children to put photographs of what's happening in the garden. It's all about engagement. Now, what we've got at the moment is a generation of children who are more climate aware than you or I have ever been, but they're also more climate anxious than you or I have ever been. They're worried about this stuff. So if we can put a book in their hands that says, well, look, here's at least 10 things you can do to make a difference in your own back garden. I think that's a very powerful thing to put in the hands of parents and grandparents and friends where they can sit at the kitchen table, flick through and say, well, which project number should we do today? And it might be something as simple as making a rain catcher so that you catch the rain and then you use that to water the plants because it's better for them than your tap water. Or it might be something a little bit more complex, like making a, a pond out of a container. Or one of the projects involves putting tiny, tiny plants into the crevices in walls and pavement where they will grow despite expectations. So it's about giving them things they can do that are manageable with clear instructions. And then, of course, it starts to become fun and you start to learn. Even making compost, you've got the correct recipe. And then, obviously, putting the compost on the plants that they've been growing. Yes, yeah, so these are all manageable things. They're not very expensive things either, and that's important. I used to get very defeated as a child when I would get these books of, you know, 20 different things to do on a rainy day. And you'd open number one, and there'd be 15 things on the list you didn't have in the house. And mum and dad gave you the book because they wanted to occupy you. So the last thing they wanted was to go shopping and buy all these things. So most of these projects will cost very little to do. And that was the reason I chose them. There were so many I could have chosen, but these 10 are all accessible. And each of them is combined with something to pray about and a little bit of the Bible, and then, as you say, interwoven through the book are all sorts of fun facts. I had such fun researching those. You've kind of anticipated my, my next comment because you've got this lovely bit that says, and then there are some things to talk about, and you might like to come in from the garden, wash your hands and get a drink. But that is the bottom line, isn't it, Richard, that you want youngsters to sit down with an older person and just reflect on what this all means. I do, yes, because, say, there are all sorts of other voices telling them to do that. 
whether it's Greta Thunberg or it's the politicians or it's David Attenborough, lots of people saying that you must think about what you do with the world. But it's a little bit scary. And something that you can talk about with mum or grandma or granddad over the kitchen table, well, now that's a bit less scary. In fact, one of the ones, I think it's the one you just mentioned, it's a project to do with reusing water. But with that one, I say, when you come into the garden and wash your hands, don't dry them so that as we're talking and praying, you can feel the water drying on your hands. Because it might make you think about those who are desperate for a drink and who don't have one. You can go as deep as you want with it, can't you? Oh, it can be a springboard, yes. And, and some children will want to take it to that next level. There's another project in there to do with buying mixed seed. You can get mixed seeds in any garden's end or even in a supermarket. But before they go and plant them in the garden, they tip them out on a white dinner plate and see how different all the shapes are. And then when they've grown them, they see how different all the flowers are. And the conversation with that one when they come back into the house is, think how different the people are that you meet at church or at school how different they look, how different they seem. But they're all valuable and you could take that conversation as far as you wanted it to go. Have you got a sneaking suspicion that grown-ups are just going to fall in love with this book? Oh, I do hope so. I really do hope so. And I also think there are a number of grown-ups who would love to have their child or grandchild help them in the garden. They're not quite sure how to make that fun, not quite sure how to make that interesting, and I really hope this will help them. And I have to say, you've got ten sets of facts. I didn't know any of them. Results! <laughs> I felt ashamed. <laughs> I mean, who knew that a banana was a herb? <laughs> well, there we go, you see. You didn't know that before and you know it now. <laughs> it is a delightful book and I wish every possible success with it. Your range of books, the subjects you cover, I mean, you mentioned The Tales of an Undergardener, which was born out of your own experiences of gardening and also the grief that you were going through yeah. at the time of the loss of your wife. You've also written more extensively about that experience. You've also written books on preaching to help those who preach and lead worship. Is it the variety that you love about being a writer? Oh, absolutely, yes. It gives me the opportunity to indulge my fascinations, you see. I love these things, then I get to share them with people. And that pleases me greatly. You did join us for a little mini-series of What Happened Next, something I found fascinating, looking at stories in the Bible and taking them from where they finish in the Bible account and wondering what happened next. And I thought it was a great idea. We loved the contributions that you made to the programme. I hope there's a book there. There is, and it will be out in 2025, but I have yet to write it. Well, go home and get writing. <laughs> Duly noted, but might spend some time in the garden too.
John Rutter and the Cambridge Singers and For the Beauty of the Earth seems an appropriate hymn to follow Richard Littledale talking about his new book that's all about caring for creation. Make It Grow costs £8.99 and will be available shortly from Church's Bookshop within St Thomas's Church in Finch Road here in Douglas and from the branch of Church's Book and Gift Shop within our Retreat House in Peel, Tidevay, which is probably better known as Balla Wattleworth House on Tinwald Road in Peel. If you're listening to this programme off-island via the podcast, go anywhere online where you can buy books and search for Richard Littledale. You'll find Make It Grow along with all his other books that are available to buy online. My second guest today is someone else making a welcome return to the programme. Very Reverend Canon John Mann is a Manx-born Anglican priest and has returned with his wife Helen to his laxy roots now that he's retired from his ministry as Dean of Belfast Cathedral. Now, with the luxury of a little more time, John's ministry has developed in a new direction as an author and his second book will have its launch here on the island in about a week's time. Christ's Seven Words from the Cross by John Mann is a book designed to be used during the weeks that the Church calls Lent, the weeks of preparation for the event that's central to the Christian faith, Easter, not just the death by crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, but the rising to new life of that same Jesus Christ. John Mann's book takes us back to the first Good Friday and each of the chapters of the book is built around each of the seven sentences that Jesus spoke from the time of being nailed to the cross until the moment of his death. Whether or not we believe in Jesus, the words he spoke from the cross are an extraordinary testimony. Forgiveness, acceptance, love and commitment shown in circumstances so agonizing that we can scarcely even imagine them. Two thousand years later, what might these words say to our troubled modern world? Let's welcome Very Reverend Canon John Mann and find out what was the inspiration for this book. Good morning, John. Good morning, Judith. The seven words from the cross have been a subject that I have preached on many occasions on Good Fridays over a period of several decades. And each time I've tried to write, you know, new addresses for them. Over the years, I've gathered quite a lot of material. And some people have said to me, when you preach on them on Good and Friday, it's impossible to really take it all in. It would be lovely to see the the text of them. And this has only been since I've retired that I've thought, well, uh, maybe I can draw from some of these addresses and put them together in a way that people will find them hopefully of some use. So that's how it's come about. Did you find, once you started to do that, John, that you got almost fresh insight? Yes, I did. I mean, certainly on one or two of them, I wrote quite a lot of new material. Over the years, when one's reading the scriptures, when you're reading things prayerfully and you get fresh insights that may not actually be in the written word, but it's coming through the words, I suppose sitting there reading these things through again, I thought, mm, I don't know, actually, I don't know what I meant there. <laughs> I need to think that through again. Uh, it might have been something from 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, you're looking at uh, something a little bit differently now. So, yes, it has developed. I think it is the sort of book that you take at the pace that you want to and you just close it up and, and leave it and go away and come back to it. I think it is that sort of a book. That's the way it's designed and uh, not 
to sit down in an afternoon after it's less than 100 pages. You could read through the whole thing in an afternoon. But it's not really meant for that. Would this be suitable for somebody who really hasn't got a church background? I would like to think that it could be read by anyone. The themes that come through in the seven words from the cross, particularly in the early words that we believe Jesus spoke fairly early on when he was being crucified, words of forgiveness, uh, words of acceptance, words of relationship. These are all strong themes that we all think about and are all affected by. So I would have thought that uh, the fact that Jesus is saying these to real people in a real situation is bound to have some sort of relevance, whatever your background. Words like, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Yes. Forgiveness is a key to so much in our world, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's not easy. I mean, I think this is one of the points that comes through in the book. Uh, Forgiveness is frequently really quite difficult to do. And it's not something that you can really necessarily do unilaterally because it depends on the relationship that you have with a person as to whether that forgiveness is going to be acceptable. Now, you've got some glowing endorsements for the book. Bishop Andrew Forster, who is the Church of Ireland Bishop of Derry, and Bishop Donald McEwen, who is the Catholic Bishop, the Roman Catholic Bishop of Derry. I had reason to speak to Bishop Andrew, and I mentioned to him at the time that I was preparing this book, and I wondered about whether a reflection from Derry, Londonderry, with the difficulties and relationships that there have been in that city over the years, and yet the progress that has been made in a fabulous way, bringing people together in that city. And also, I happen to know Bishop Donal as well, and I suggested to them, would you mind both having a glance at this book and just see if there's something in it that you could bring as a forward for the book? And they took it up and they they wrote this forward together rather than writing a separate bit, which I was really pleased at. Unsurprising, really, that you would have the Church of Ireland Bishop and the Roman Catholic Bishop as friends, because your whole ministry is committed to ecumenism. As Dean of Belfast Cathedral, you were there in the heart of it all, and you've always been committed to working ecumenically as far as it is reasonably possible. For years, I I felt that the only way for the Church is really to work is is to work together and to build relationships and I think it helps us to understand each other's tradition and we share and are enriched by it we don't agree upon everything of course we don't but we do agree about a great deal and in terms of our outlook on the world in general and the issues that we're all sharing it is in discussing things that I think it brings us closer together and helps us to understand each other Do you think it's going to help church in the world if the denominations are seen to be truly getting to know each other, deeply know each other? Not, as you say, not to fudge over the the differences that do exist, but to find a way of disagreeing graciously and still working effectively. Words are very important and the way in which we express things to one another is also very, very important. And unless we are talking and meeting we don't necessarily understand ourselves, let alone the other person. But when we talk, it sort of refines our own thoughts. And I think we we understand one another better. And that is all to the good. You were awarded in 2018 the Lambeth Cross for Ecumenism. And this is an Archbishop of Canterbury's award. 
But did you feel that it was an, an accolade for all of you who had worked together? When something like this drops through the letterbox, and of course it still did happen in the, in the old-fashioned way, <laughs> a letter arrives and you open it up and you think, goodness... What's this to me? And then, you know, you start to think about it and you know that people have put you forward for it. I remember at the award ceremony and there were lots of us there at Lambeth and the point that the Archbishop made over and over again is that I'm sure that the majority of you are here feeling quite awkward in a way. What on earth have we been given this for? Because you're only actually being yourself and, you know, it's not that you're going out of the way to doing something in order to reach a particular point. You're just being yourself. So, yes, it was a big surprise. (laughs) But actually, you make a very important point there, John, that being ourselves will always be enough and blooming where God put you to work and contribute to ecumenism where it was very much needed was what you had to do. So being yourself was obviously quite enough. Coming back to the book, you wrote it drawing together all the the, the material that people had said it would be so nice to to look at and and be able to read at their leisure. So for individual use, it's fine, but also you've structured it in a way that it can be used for groups during Lent. Yes. When you come to Holy Week and you're approaching Good Friday, there are so many things in the scriptures that you have the opportunity to think about on those last few days, Wednesday, Thursday, Good Friday, and it's hard to take it all in a short space of time. But then it was put to me, well, actually, you could use the whole of Lent over this. And so at the back of the book, there's a schedule for using the book over five meetings of a Lent group with questions and there's space for writing notes and that sort of thing. It's published by Messenger. It will be available from Church's Bookshop here on the island. And the price is? 10.95. Now, talk to me about the launch because the Isle of Man launch of this book really speaks of ecumenism itself. Well, St Mary of the Isle is now a cathedral and I I thought, I wonder would Father John be happy to have it there? And I asked and he responded very quickly and said, of course, so it's going to happen, all being well, on Monday the 12th of February at 7pm. In the Cathedral Church of St Mary of the Isle on Hill Street here in Douglas. Mm. Just open to everybody. It will. Very Reverend John Mann, thank you very much for talking to us this morning. Christ's Seven Words from the Cross. It's available from Church's Bookshop in Douglas and of course it will be available at the Cathedral Church of St Mary of the Isle on Monday the 12th of February from 7 o'clock onwards. Thank you once again to my guest authors today, Reverend Richard Littledale and Very Reverend Canon John Mann. And we finish now with a look at our notice board and services and events later today. This afternoon at three o'clock, the parish church in Maloo celebrates Candlemas with Manx dancers Perry Bain dancing in the light of Christ in traditional Manx dance. The service will be followed by refreshments. Also this afternoon, it's the first of two snowdrop teas in Old Kirk Braddon. They're today, the 4th, and next Sunday, the 11th. Two opportunities to enjoy the beautiful display of snowdrops and an afternoon tea, served between half past two and four o'clock. Afternoon tea is just £8 per person. When you arrive, pop into Old Kirk Braddon to book your afternoon tea and it'll be ready and waiting for you when you've finished walking round admiring the snowdrops. Then this evening you're invited to St Mark's Church for a calming service of Evensong starting at half past six and that too will be followed by refreshments.
And finally, the Ireland Spirituality Network will be meeting next Saturday morning in its usual home, St John's Mill, from 10am to 1pm. And next Saturday, the 10th, the theme of the morning will be The Bittersweet Scroll, exploring poetry and faith. And the morning will be led by Michael Manning, the 8th Manx Bard and author of No King But God. Everyone will be made most welcome. And I'm afraid that's all that we've time for now, but I'll be back later in our virtual lounge tonight from nine o'clock. I'd love you to join me if you can. So until whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening. And I wish you and those you love a blessed and peaceful week and a very good morning.